Welcome to the Anxiety Guys, the podcast of the emotional revolution. Real stories, real solutions, and real hope. Join the revolution. I'm your host, Nick Davis. And I'm Dan Jarvis. Welcome to another episode with the Anxiety Guys. So welcome, everybody. Uh, Today's going to be a really cool episode. Uh, In the house is Nick Davis, the other half of the Anxiety Guys, and his better half, Sarah Davis, his wife. Hey there. Now that, yep, it's definitely going to be cool now that she's here. <laughs> Been a fun ride so far. Can't wait to see what else you guys do. Yeah, well, if we can fix you, we can fix anybody. <laughs> no, 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 no. If you can fix me, we can fix anybody. <laughs> well, there's some truth to be said about that. And uh, for those folks listening, if you're Nick and you have to deal with both Sarah and Dan, you poor need Nick. a whole other person to fix you when you're done with that. Listen, yeah. poor Nick. He's got it really rough. He really does. I got it all. But no, aren't we all broken? In some way, shape, or form, there's always somebody that needs it. So I I feel blessed to have watched you guys take this from the ground up and heal so many people and witness it and, and feel the heal myself. So let me, let me ask you, Sarah. We met right about, actually, you and I, I think we probably met about four and a half years ago. Uh, five years ago, Nick and I met. That's about when we started the nonprofit. What was your perception of me when you first met me? Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> I hope this is getting recorded. Well... <laughs> So Dan, for you, if I can be blunt, you have, um, you've had some ups and downs since I met you. I feel like when I first met you, things were pretty good. Um, and, and then you've had a few moments that, um, that you were, you were in a dark spot and, and I like to talk about the layers of an onion. You know, we, we could peel a big layer off at first and then, as things in life evolves, I feel like we all discover other layers or, or triggers or, or things that need to come up and be addressed. And I think for you, you you are the Shrek of this trio because, <laughs> you know, I've, I've watched a lot of layers come off. And as they have for you, you become this lighter being. I'm very much an empath and I, and I feel energy and, and usually internalize it. And uh, there's, there was some moments I avoided you. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I I really needed to be out of the room. Was that before or after I was getting divorced? Probably after. Yeah, I think it was after. The I don't divorce. think we spent a lot of time together before. Yeah. So yeah, after was probably the, the tougher. But but you worked on yourself. You've never stopped growing and learning and and working on yourself. And and that's literally lightened your load. <laughs> your pleasure to be around. What's up? <laughs> How you feeling now, baby? It's definitely lightening Nick's load. Yes. Oh my god! Yes, you got you, uh, the the both Sarah and Dan are very empathic people. Feel people's energy. I do, but I think they they both feel it. And if there's a lot of intensity, you guys both will oh pull back. I see it, and I'm like, all right, how do I fix it? Mm-hmm. I, it doesn't feel great, but I want to figure out just how crazy somebody is, and like. You're a good person. I, I'm interested in the person. I want to figure it out. So I almost, I think that's the opposites attract, mm-hmm. right? And I've attracted a lot of people similar to both of you where it's like, how do I help? And sometimes that can be draining. But mm-hmm. it, for me, it's usually a, okay, I'm smoked at this point. I've had all the Sarah, all the Dan and all <laughs> the other people I can handle. I need a couple of days to recharge my batteries. You've seen me do that. Mm-hmm. And even though I love you both dearly, there's those moments where I'm like, I need... I need a second. So let's discuss a little bit about what an empath actually is. So somebody may be like, what is that? What does that sound like? I'm actually interested in how you both feel it or see it differently. So tell us, Dan, from your perspective, when you say you're an empath, 
you walk into a room and you see somebody that has got a lot of emotion, whatever the emotion may be, what is it like for you? What do you feel? What do you experience? So typically as an empath, you have to learn how to maneuver and navigate other people's emotions. And a lot of it is maybe like your parents, you're trying to figure out how's dad reacting today. So you tend to become extremely intuitive to the emotional state of people. The hard part about that is you literally, when you're with somebody who's like in angry mode or anxiety or, or sad, you're literally activating your own nervous system every single time. And it is so exhausting. So what's that feel like in your body? Oh, it's like a, so in your body, it really feels like, I mean, the vagus nerve goes active and it's almost like an electrical charge. Like you literally feel it in your chest and in your brain as your body starts dumping cortisol. And you really have to do a lot to try to manage your own emotions in that mo- moment because you're, you're activating your nervous system every, so, every time. Do you feel a, like a, unless you Somebody's not empathic. Do you feel nervous? So Do you feel... I could jump in here. You know how when a cat gets startled, all the hair on its back stands up straight? I feel like every skin cell in my body does that. Like it becomes high alert yep. and intense. And the restriction in the chest, you know, a, a, like a heaviness on the chest that uh, my default is always just get away from it. The opposite of you who wants to dive in and figure out someone more. My default has always been, I need to get out of this situation. And it's interesting the people that bring that out in me, you know, it it could be highly varied. Sometimes it's someone who's a very positive person, but is just super energetic when they're really high energy, it can bring it out in me. But on the flip side, it could be someone who maybe is very heavily depressed and carries anger. I can feel it then too. So great. So we've got Shrek and Puss in Boots. This is awesome. (laughs) I married a cat. But that is a good explanation from you, Sarah, because I'll watch it happen where somebody, whether it's been you, Dan, or other friends or people in the past where she's like, get me out of here. Or she'll just disappear. And I'm like, all right, go do your thing. And is that similar, like what she said, or does it sound different to you, what she was sharing? No, it's it's very similar. Um, the biggest thing is you really get that uncomfortable emotional feeling that you go into fight or flight you're you're and why what sarah said she just wants to withdraw that's she wants to get out of the out of the kill zone basically so i tend to fight through the kill zone and that's where you end up with conflict so it's been very difficult as a coach when you feel because i'll feel their energy when i'm on the call with them and i have to sit there and like protect me and like show no emotions to them so that they're not but the good thing about that is it's it's a blessing and a curse the curse is you feel the emotions. It's a blessing because I feel the release. So I know when they're letting go of those negative emotions and that way I know I've achieved what I needed to as a coach. That's a great point. Mm-hmm. Yep. That is, I, I think I visualize it as much as I feel it at times. Cause I can see and read a room without taking on all the negative emotion. I think it's when I get, person after person after person that's super high energy or it's, it can drain me. But well, so I want to dive into a little bit about when Sarah and I first met, she was like a code five virgin clinger. (laughs) Yeah. So I meet Sarah on eHarmony for those of you that don't know. And I just uh, finished a 2000 mile ride on my Harley with my little sister who at the time was 12. 
So this was 2011. And we went on a date. We had talked a little bit over the phone and online. And it was funny. I said to myself, when I see this girl, I'm just going to give her a kiss. Like, I'm just, I don't know why I even thought that. I get to the sushi restaurant that we're going out to in Massachusetts and it's dark out or just at dark. And I'm looking around and I don't see anybody. And then I turn and here comes this girl, this huge smile. And I'm telling you, she puts the lip lock on me. I I was like a WWE lip lock. I was like, what in the hell is happening right now? So I'm like, okay, maybe she's another crazy girl that I met on eHarmony. I need, might need to eject out of this one. So I'm looking for an escape route, uh, texting a friend. Hey, I might not show up tomorrow. If you don't hear from me by tonight, come looking for me. And uh, we go into the restaurant and I'm like, okay, she is a very attractive lady. This is good. And we sit down, we order food and they're like, would you guys like to order drinks? And Sarah's like looking at me. You got, she's got that look, right? Yeah. I need to calm my nerves. Holy cow. I'm not really comfortable being here. This is not my jam. I don't want to do the dating thing. She had been through a divorce recently and I had been divorced for several years at that point. And, uh, I look at the guy, I said, no, I gave up drinking for Lent. <laughs> you can see the look on Sarah's face. She's terrified. Now I have to have a conversation with this guy with no alcohol for the next hour and a half. So we finished that night. It was pretty funny. And um, our relationship started pretty fast, right? We had, mm-hmm. how, fa- how, how long after we met, were you pregnant? Three months. Yeah. Dang. <laughs> you go, guys. And then we got married six months later. Yeah. And I had said to you, I don't want to talk about marriage mm-hmm. or kids. So I still want to know, what did you put in my drink? I think I was delusional and I didn't know what was happening. <laughs> Probably. But so, so as a, the one thing I, I think folks can relate to, though, is when you meet somebody and it's new, especially if it's a relationship type thing, it's very easy to have blinders on and not see or objective around maybe some of the shortcomings or emotional issues or whatever that person may have. And I'm not saying that as Sarah, me too, anybody, right? We all have our, our blind spots and the things that we feel or see, but yeah, your oxytocin is running high. It's new. It's exciting. It's you, you do more of the fun stuff when you first meet and then the rubber meets the road some point in a relationship. Fun stuff. How so specifically <laughs> <laughs> details. This is a PG 13 episode. Come on guys. I, I was keeping it clean. I'm just asking what's fun stuff to you. I'm trying to go back to life. Oh, gosh. You know, life, up our marriage here, Dan. Don't life cut this before, off. Life before kids. Oh, hiking, boating, going on trips, freedom. Okay. All right. So you hate our children. Now that we got that, we'll work on that next. But so really where I was going that with that, though, was, you know, Sarah was very like outwardly like affectionate and excited. And I was too. Like, it was like, okay, I have a, she actually seems like she really has her stuff together. And she was, Sarah was very accomplished, physical therapist, had her own home, you know, a great family and had a lot going for her. And I felt like we were equals. That's the one thing I've, I've said since day one. I really felt like we were equals when we came to our relationship. Would you agree with that? I would. Mm-hmm. I always felt that way. Yeah. And then and I still feel that way. And then we had Fisher and that was awesome. We have our first child together. It's my first son. And then we have Annika and the wheels fall off the bus. Mm-hmm. And from the time I met you, I remember you being worried about a lot of different things, but you never mm-hmm. called it necessarily anxiety. Right. But what would you say those years were like from year two to year yesterday? (laughs) (laughs) 
So I, I think my, my swings have gone back far, much farther than that into, you know, teenage years and then twenties, uh, times of lows, you know, where I felt lost, felt like I was in a black hole, no way out. And the root of all of that, yeah, was generally worry. Just, I would get myself worked up about just about anything that I possibly could. But, uh, after Annika, I think a good case of postpartum depression added to hormones and two babies and just confused about the direction that our life was going at that point in time definitely brought me to the worst part that I had felt for sure. Do you think that it, had you been able to go through these, if Dan and I were doing this and had these processes mm-hmm. back, Oh my gosh. Then do you think that would have helped a lot? Oh, a thousand times, a million times over. Yeah. Was there somebody in your household that worried a lot? Was there somebody around you? Was it just friends? Where, where do you think that came yeah, from? Yeah, my parents. Yeah. Love them dearly, but there's generally a, a level of worry and concern and stress that they always emanate. Yes. So you learn to be worrisome mm-hmm. based on mom and dad. Right. Which, for the record, that's exactly how kids learn. They mm-hmm. model their parents. So you modeled an ogre? <laughs> 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 we'll get to that on the next episode. That's going to be a long one. Uh, it's funny. It is actually for me unique because I had much different parents than both of you. So you guys tell me if I got this wrong, but basically Dan, you had a mom and a dad that dad was a Navy vet. Pretty, he was pretty emotionally checked out. And what I mean by that, there wasn't like, Hey buddy, you're doing great. I love you. It was more like, you're not doing good enough. Uh, you're doing everything half ass, just like kind of hard on you in that way and not very emotionally loving or affectionate. Is that Kind of close. Yeah. My, my nickname was half job growing up. So every time something had to be done, I'd always get accused of only getting half of it done. I was also a middle kid too. And, and my dad lost his son, his from his first marriage to cystic fibrosis. I was two and Bobby was 11. So trauma was a root of all his issues. And that was in a time where heavy alcohol consumption, I mean, you know, right as he was retiring from the Navy you know, we moved down to Florida and, and I mean, there was a lot of drinking and I remember lots of nights when dad was pretty wasted and mom and dad would get into fights and arguments. And I remember one time it got physical between the two. I love my dad to death. Don't get me wrong. I'm not speaking ill of the dead, but you know, my example growing up were two parents that really didn't communicate at all. Right. So I never learned how to effectively communicate. So, so, and Sarah, for you, and I'm going to frame it, but I want you to do kind of like Dan did here. Your parents growing up, hardworking people, um, you know, put a lot of heart and soul into the family property and farm and and definitely loved you kids. But I would say it's fairly similar where maybe your dad and mom were not overly like, let's talk about our emotions. Let's get into our emotions. Or what, what was it like for you really as a kid with mom and dad? And, and you can be honest, because if they listen to this, they know that you love them. So, right. You know, farmers are an exceptional breed. They work hard, but at the expense of working hard, there may not be as much um, feeling of abundance in their own souls. You know, it's, it's the, the scarcity mindset of there's never enough. And whether it's you know, things around the house or money. Um, I felt their energy of the, uh, the hamster wheel, you know, the, the job's never done for them. So it just was this frazzled, you know, always watching them be as busy as they possibly could because there's a million things to do and always get done that, um, 
I just don't think I ever learned how to have emotions, quite honestly. Well, that I want to hit on on that a little bit in a second. Like go back to the hamster wheel. Cause I think that really played into our marriage has not definitely it's way different now. So the hamster wheel, you saw your parents work hard, jobs never done. Got to go, 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 go all the time. Mm-hmm. I feel like that happened a lot in our marriage where I'm like, can we just be present and enjoy what's going on? And you that couldn't was, sit still, right? Right. That was impossible because the guilt of not doing enough, not doing more, not being busy all the time, not accomplishing more and more and more and checking the boxes. Um, yeah, it, it, it consumed me. So the guilt mm-hmm. like that. So that's big, right? Think about that. So it's not like Sarah's mom or dad said, you are a horrible mm-hmm. person. As a kid, you tell yourself, I'm not doing enough. Look at how much they're doing, what's going on. And maybe some of the wording they're using, maybe they're not even talking to Sarah. They're talking to other people, or maybe they make a comment about somebody and that child latches onto it and goes, oh, if I don't work seven days a week from sunup to sundown, I'm not doing enough. I'm mm-hmm. a piece of crap. I'm not good enough. And that's where the guilt chimes in. And then now as an adult, you can't sit still and you and Dan are like ogres. Right. Well, you grow up uh, thinking that success is accomplishments instead of peace. Right. Because what What is success to you? Right now or before? Right now, if someone were to say, Sarah... What is success? I'm saying it to you. What does success mean to you? A a peaceful life where people enjoy you and you contribute to them. They know you love them and you left the world a better place. What's that mean to you, Dan? Success is when I can sit in my own thoughts at night and not struggle with wondering if I'm doing the right thing. Hmm. Not doing the right thing. I think we need to go after that next. Maybe. Maybe you just said a keyword there and we'll EMP that later. Could be. I know sometimes we get through these podcasts and we don't share that much, but often folks, this is how it works with Dan, Sarah and I, we'll just be having conversations and talking about stuff that's happened. And Dan or myself or Sarah will say something like Dan just said, you know, I want to sit in my thoughts and not wonder if I'm, if I'm, if I'm not doing the right thing. So even though that's not the something you normally say as an emotion, it can be an emotion. And if that's something that is perseverates and you're constantly going in circles on, oftentimes our EMP process will disconnect that. So all of a sudden you can be content and happy in your thoughts. And it's a weird, when you did that with me with guilt, it was so weird. I was like, huh, I'm not, it's not popping into my head 27 times a day anymore. Mm. Right. And then I think we got, it was this year that you actually, we ran through some stuff where I was feeling, I didn't know what it was. And I think we came up with the name of abandonment, even though I was never really abandoned, but it was through conversation. I don't know if you guys would agree with that, but I think those are some of our best moments. That's when we went up to Vermont. You and I were at the lake. Yep. Yeah. I love doing those kind of things because it is so freeing when you finally let those emotions go. And, you know, maybe, maybe with mine, it's from that middle child syndrome, maybe, you know, because as an empath growing up, I can, I still hear my dad's voice. You're too sensitive. You're too sensitive. You're way too sensitive. You need thicker skin. That's me telling you that dummy. <laughs> no, no, that was, that was my dad growing up, but that's the thing. And I didn't even know what an empath was. And until I started doing a little bit of digging and researching, and I was like, holy cow, that typically a kid who, who grows up as an empath 
are accused of being too sensitive because you're you're literally activating your nervous system anytime mom's upset, anytime dad's upset, anytime your brother or sister's upset. And then you do come across like you're too sensitive, but it's not because you want to be, it's because you get overwhelmed by the chemicals that hit your body and those chemicals we call emotions. So, yeah. How ironic is it that Captain Sensitive over here Joins the army and becomes a <laughs> drill instructor. Pretty incredible. There's some, like there's a lot of something twisted yeah. and evil in there. Like my whole life, I'm super sensitive to everybody's emotions. And he's like, "Maggot, you're gonna get on your face. Give me to Your mom should have left you at the bus stop. You're screaming yeah. at poor kids. Imagine how many I, empaths you well, messed I up. Well, I think he brought it up that fight or flight. Yeah. When you're activated, you went to fight. Whereas mm-hmm. I would have loved to help my country in that way, but there is no way I would have made it. I'm a flight. <laughs> <laughs> flight risk flight risk in any situation that's intense so uh, i think he used that to his advantage in that situation i wouldn't say in any situation in, when mama bear comes out mess with your babies and somebody gonna get their head lopped off i don't true. care what the situation yeah. is remember that guy with the car oh i, out of his I, car? I will kill them mm-hmm. <laughs> i will kill them so yes they, yes uh, there was a little traffic issue mm-hmm. back in sarah's hometown and she when she was telling me the story she's like the guy slammed on his brakes Got out of his car and she had all the kids with her. She's like, mm-hmm. I rolled my window down. I was like, you get the back in your beeping car right now. And the guy turned around, got back Don't in his car. Don't come near he? my kids. Don't mm-hmm. come near mama bear. Yeah. I love it. Well, let me ask you a question, Nick. No. What's your definition of success? My definition of success is the day that I can go, the week that I can go a solid 48 to 72 hours and say whatever I need to say comes to mind, and neither Dan or Sarah have an emotional breakdown. I knew it was. I'll be. It will be highly Somebody successful. Gotta get. Gen- oh, well, I could stay home for three days. Did Dude, that help? You left, and I was like, "Wow, I feel so good right now." I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thanks, man. Well, I love you too. No, I, honestly, I've because of the financial planning realm that Sarah and I work in, we talk about this often, and we've all done some work on this. But success for me is having others especially my children and the people that are close to me. But when I'm gone, that my kids are telling others that I was a very giving person. I loved God. Uh, I put others first and it was always about making the world a better place. That's in my heart. So maybe it's a little cheesy because it comes naturally to me to want to help others, but you can help other people and still be selfish or narcissistic or I don't know. I, I just think that the more we try to, love our neighbor, you know, love others and treat others with grace that this career that you and I now have with anxiety guys and what we were doing with 220 has helped me grow so much. It's made me a better husband, a better father, a better listener, and definitely has given me the ability. Sarah sometimes gives me too much credit. She'll be like, uh, you're humble or you, you give people a lot of grace. Maybe that's true. But I can tell you there's times where I didn't feel that grace. I didn't, I would be quick to judge, right? And, and I don't like judging people because I think we're all going to be judged someday. So that's not fair. But you do. We get caught in that trap. This person's this or that person's that. If you knew that person's story and knew that their dad beat them half to death when they were a kid or their dad beat them half to death because they lost one of their children or what, you don't know the story, right? Right. You and I, Dan, have worked with so many people and Sarah has over the years, been around a lot of people that have been through tough stuff. When I first met her, one of her best friends died of cancer, right? What was her name? Her name was Debbie. Debbie. So 
I remember Sarah sharing the story about Debbie with me and, and the cancer piece. And when I met Sarah, like we didn't have, there wasn't a lot of talk about our faith or God or any of that. And Sarah through her own journey. And that was a key person. I, I think that ultimately has led us to be closer as a couple. I think both of us find more humility, be closer to God. Um, and success is if at the end of the day, we've had an imperfect life and an imperfect marriage that when we're gone made the, the world a better place in some way, shape or form for our children, our community. Um, Cause money isn't going to do it. I mean, I'd like to create something financially that carries on for my family as well as for the community, something that mm-hmm. has a lasting impact for years later. But uh, success is definitely not about the money in your bank account. I think it's, you know, growing too. Why do you think it's important to have grace for people? Because we all need it. <laughs> I would say that it's important to have grace for people because you don't know what that person has been through. And when you make up stories in your head or assumptions and you, you start not having that grace, that if you're not having that grace, that means you're frustrated, angry, you're judging all the above, right? Mm-hmm. Find me somebody that hasn't had a moment where they've been really in a bad spot, bad spot emotionally, bad spot financially, bad spot in a relationship. Maybe they've been somebody that's jumped to anger. We've all been there, right? And a lot of times we don't want to share our story. I know Sarah's not the person like, hey, let me tell you everything about me and where I suck or where I'm great. She's definitely more reserved, more of a private person. I have seen her struggles very up close and personal. Most people have it where I would get told by people, Oh, don't ever mess it. She's amazing. She's the, we get home and she'd be like, bah! like <laughs> train wreck in our marriage at one point was a train wreck and people don't see that. Right. They right. see it, you know, whether it's on social media or we're out and you, you don't want to dump your crap on everybody. So yeah. I think that grace goes along with that is that, you, you you give others space to feel safe. And that's probably one of the things that I feel I do naturally because people usually feel safe that's talking to me. That's why I unleashed the fury on you. <laughs> <laughs> so you were safe. You were safe. Yeah, and then I got married and I'm no longer safe. Yeah. <laughs> she hunts me daily, folks. <laughs> I think one of the things that people really should understand, there's a lot of people that don't know how to have grace for themselves. Ooh, yes. And that's kind of the... That's kind of me, right? It's been a long time for me. If you don't feel grace for yourself, there's absolutely no way you're going to be able to have grace for other people. If you don't love yourself, there's it's going to be very difficult for you to love other people because you have no frame of reference. So for me, the negative self-talk, you know, when I got back from Afghanistan, literally just angry with God because I woke up that morning. That's the way my life would go. And those were that's where my thoughts would go. And it was really difficult for me to have grace with other people because I I didn't even know what that felt like for myself. So whenever you finally do get to have a little bit of grace for yourself and maybe forgive yourself and let a lot of those emotions go, it kind of changes your whole lens on how you see people, how you see the world, how you see life. But for me, it's been a journey. Like, you know, Sarah said, you know, this hasn't been an overnight thing. It's not like I was done in one session. I mean, you know, your brain will literally present emotions when it's ready to process them. So 
some of those hidden layers were hidden for several years after initially going through the trauma work. And, and I can tell you, um, just from my experience, I am able to identify those trigger points a lot more now because I've got so much of it out of the way. That's when you can really make some progress and, and kind of rewire your brain, which is, you know, it's just, it's a daily thing. You know, we are not the best versions of ourselves, but we can be. I, I think you brought up a really good point. <clears throat> the good point is number one, it's not, it's not like, Hey, one session. Like we've had some people we worked with where right. that one session makes the difference on I'm suicidal. I'm going to get divorced. I'm what it, because you're, you're disconnecting so much big trauma and so many big negative emotions. The key is, okay, I've done a couple of sessions, two, three sessions with Nick or Dan and the anxiety guys got me in a place I never thought I could be because I feel so good. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that down the road, maybe a year or two years later, you're not going to go, huh? Now these other little things are popping up and I'd like to disconnect some of those. So like a good example is you with frustration, you know, that emotion. And then when I told you you were acting like a little baby, we'll, we'll, we'll beep that one out, but a little baby, those were a couple of big ones for you. Because for me, I would watch Dan and I'm like, why is he acting this way? It'd be like doom and gloom. Oh my God. You know, everything was like this dark, negative Nancy. And I'm like, dude, suck it up is what I want. I'm like, you started a nonprofit from scratch. We're saving the world. We've healed thousands of veterans and you're acting like a little army veteran over there <laughs> <laughs> to my army vets. I love you. Dan's just a little weaker than most of you guys, whatever. So, but that, that piece of it, then when we did, you disconnected those couple of emotions that had another, Sarah even saw it. She was like, Holy cow. Mm -hmm. Dan's way lighter. You, you could feel it and see it. So, but, and that's what's helped you and I be so good at what we do. Right. Because I live with a couple of ogres yep. and you're full of your onions and there's lots of layers. Like a Petri dish. Well, I think an important part of all of this, right, is we could know what our triggers are, but I don't think anybody can sustain consciously changing them. What I mean is like self-talking, self-loving, right. self-helping your way through your triggers until you change your lens, like you said, Dan, is take out the root of that. You know, the root might be from childhood or, or an experience earlier on that maybe you haven't really figured out where it's coming from. But um, I was on quite a journey before you guys started this of the, the self-help, right? Reading all the books and the podcasts and the meditation and all of those are good tools, yet they never ripped the, the layers off. They just kind of coated them. They'd softened them. But I think that's the, the biggest part is that now that we have this tool that you guys are using so rapidly, it's, it's making progress easier for people to get there and much less painful because you can, you can uncover those things um, without talking about it, number one, and without rehashing it and, and feeling the relief. So then you can use the tools to then improve communication and parenting, marriage, all everything. I, yeah, I get a laugh a lot of times when I'll say to people, and you were in this spot, Sarah, where I'm like, when I first get a client and where it's our first session, usually I'll say to them, if they've told me they have depression or anxiety, I'll say, yeah, I said, you know, a lot of times the people that love you most, your mom, dad, husband, wife, friend, best friend, they're like, hey, you should be happy. Look, you're married to this great guy or this great girl, and you got a great career, beautiful kids. 
And they're telling you all this stuff, and you're sitting there watching their lips move, and you're thinking, Stewing can, inside. I, mm-hmm. can I just punch you in the throat? Mm-hmm. And when I say that, people start laughing. They're like, yep, mm-hmm. I've thought that. Because they're sitting there literally going, "I, hey, dummy, you don't think I've told myself that eight million times? Mm-hmm. Guess what? It doesn't work. Why doesn't that work, Dan? Because when you activate your limbic system, it's literally hijacking your entire nervous system. So when you have that feeling of sadness or depression or anger or resentment or rejection, it's because there's a net neural pathway that's connected to a root. And whenever somebody says something, you smell something, you see something, and next thing you know, the brain says, oh, wait a minute, this is one of those moments where I need to be angry. And then you're feeling the emotion. So let me kind of reframe that a little bit. Why do you think telling yourself you shouldn't be depressed, you shouldn't feel anxiety, and you shouldn't be feeling these negative emotions, telling yourself that, why do you think that does not work? Because you're consciously telling your unconscious brain to do something. And the conscious brain, which is willpower, is maybe 5% of the power. So you're literally trying to take on that an NFL nose tackle or inside linebacker with a punter. So essentially, that is what that is a differentiator in what we do compared to cognitive behavioral talk therapy, correct? Yes. Because we're not talking about the right here and now. What Sarah brought up is a great point. We go, okay, you feel depressed, sad, hurt all the time. We go back and find those roots and we disconnect them with our processes, correct? Whenever you find that three and a half year old emotion of frustration and you can still actively feel it if you reassociate, that's the root. And it is so much easier to release that root unconsciously than it is consciously. Right. So for those of you hearing this right now, because I think that's going to trigger some people going, holy cow, that's me. If you, if you go back and think of a moment when you were three, six, eight, ten, where you were really angry or felt a lot of guilt and you think about that moment and you can still feel it, like you can literally feel the anger or feel the guilt or feel the sadness, that right there is what we disconnect. That right there is why people come to us because they scream and yell and throw stuff because they're carrying anger from that point in their life. Or they've got anxiety because their guilt is so bad that anybody asks them a question or needs to do something, they'll spread themselves so thin because they don't want to hurt somebody or upset them or whatever, or the need to please that, oh my God, their emotional life is a train wreck. And so if you're hearing this and you're wondering if that's you, if people think, oh yeah, you triggered anger quickly or you always feel guilt or sadness or shame or frustration, just look back and see if you can find it early in your life. If you can find it and it's like a five or higher, you might want to call the anxiety guys because that's tough to live with. You know, not all emotions. It's interestingly, when you think of the ones that you want to get rid of, you just listed a, a whole bunch, but Honestly, one of my biggest ones you got rid of was the embarrassment. Remember when I was seven, I had the incident at a rodeo in Wyoming and had got really embarrassed. And uh, I wouldn't walk in front of crowds. I hated going in dark places or walking in front of a stage or down a movie theater my entire life until you disconnected that because of that one incident. So that's just, you know, you look back at it now and it's, a funny one. It really was not a a negative emotion, but it changed the trajectory of my life and how I operated because of that as a child. Well, the reason is that what you reject, you do. So 
if you're embarrassed to do something, you're focusing on embarrassment and you will avoid it at all costs. And it will change your behaviors and your actions. Same thing with anger or fear around money or whatever that emotion is. Whatever you reject, you're going to focus on. That's a great point, Dan. I, I want to go back and revisit this one for a second because I think there's a little humor here. <laughs> so when I, Dan and I first got into this realm, Sarah's the first person I tried to walk through our processes. I love being the guinea pig. Oh, oh. yeah. Well, I'm like, I'm going to fix my wife. This is going to be great. <laughs> hey, Shrek, check this out, man. I'm going to fix her. Shrek's like, shut up, donkey. You're an idiot. So I literally get home. I'm like, hey, watch this. And I, I think Sarah had some demons because I think she grew fangs, almost bit my head off. <laughs> I thought we were getting divorced. It was a scary moment for me. And uh, I'm, I'm almost not exaggerating here. Like, it didn't go well. There was tears, yeah. headache. She was pissed. So step back. We get working with people for the next several months, and uh, we're sitting out at the pool. And she starts telling this story about going to the rodeo. And I went, and I'm on one of those little wooden horses. You know, I'm a little girl. And so that episode was Sarah. And she's telling me about being this little girl and doing the barrel racing on the little hobby horse, the little wooden horses when we were kids you used to pretend you were riding a horse on. She thinks she wins. The announcer goes, oh, I'm sorry, you lose, right? And I'm ad-libbing a little bit here. But basically, a couple hundred people in the stands in Wyoming start laughing at her. Now, here's this young, impressionable girl. She's getting laughed at. Fear, terror, and helplessness, right? So she's telling the story. We're by the pool, and I'm watching her body language, and I'm like, she is amped up. I'm like, this is a trauma. Normally, if you said, hey, you got any traumatic events? You're like, no, I had a great childhood. Things were great. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. Folks don't understand that that's traumatic at seven years old for Sarah. So you and I, Dan, know how to help people find that very quickly. But in that moment, I was like, Sarah, let's sit down. We're going to run that through the process. And she was resistant. And I'm like, sit down. So (laughs) we start walking her through it. And she's like, this is so stupid. I'm just watching myself over here. And, And... so I, I get you big, on the phone. Big skeptic. Big oh, huge skeptic from this process. So I called Dan. I phone a friend. I'm like, hey, Shrek, can you uh, tell her what's up? So Dan literally says, Sarah, just stop it and do the pro. Do what Nick's telling you to do, even if it seems stupid. We get off the phone. We finish the process. I'm like, look at it now. And she literally like shrugs her shoulders. She's like, yeah, it doesn't matter anymore. And I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, like totally dismisses me. I'm like. That was so cool. And you act like she acted like she could care less. I can't tell my husband he was right. Uh, <laughs> oh, there it is. She, but she then told me, I think it was months later that we, I think we went to a movie theater and she brought that up and she had never told me that, that she hated. I'm the guy that walks into a movie theater and I want to trip and throw popcorn just to get just everybody to laughing. Mm. That's literally me. So to hear that actually made me sad for her. Yeah. I was like, I can't imagine walking into a place like that. And being that nervous around what might happen or what others might think. Meanwhile, there's 200 other people telling the story about this adorable little girl who thought she won the race, <laughs> not thinking anything negative whatsoever. But, yep. but my interpretation, it's, yeah, it's perception. Mm-hmm. The perception is is what the issue is. Now, super skeptic, mm-hmm. let me ask you a question: How analytical are you as a thinker? Very. So let's address that because we do run into a lot of analytical mm-hmm. thinkers which I usually get the joy of working with. Yeah. And I marry him. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> Again, poor Nick. <laughs> so analytical thinkers have a, it's a thicker shielding, what we would call the um, critical faculty. It's like a BS meter, right? Mm -hmm. So it takes more to get through into your subconscious mind, which is why you're like a little bit on the resistant edge. Like I got to protect this. That you're not getting in my head. You're not getting in my head. And then when you do the work that we do with the trauma, you can't avoid it. The brain will do it automatically. It's the emotions work that typically takes, that's the negotiation for an analytical thinker. So if you're super analytical out there, there is hope for you. Mm -hmm. We just got to get you through that critical faculty so that you can make the changes on a subconscious level so that you can consciously be aware of it. Yeah. You guys, you did, especially um, one in particular, you changed the wording in one process with the, with the box mm -hmm. like that for me as a compartmentalizer. Uh, thank you. That's the word yep. um, that really helped with whatever emotion at that time was, was bothering me. So it's cool that there are tools for people who are skeptical and think well, it's never going to work. Yeah. The, the um, person I worked with today, she's amazing. And we were talking beforehand. She's super skeptical, right? Mm -hmm. She called us. I don't know. And when we started walking, I started walking her through the process today. I was like, look, you should be skeptical. Uh, she was overthinking things in one hour, the anger, sadness, guilt, all gone and four traumas completely disconnected. She was like, I am so tired. Mm. And I'm like, that's normal, but it, it's okay to be skeptical. Mm -hmm. And I think that you and, and Dan has a very outside the box kind of thinking with the brain. And I think that some of that comes from not being trained. This is how you deal with people with these emotions or these issues and feeling it and working through it with the processes that we've developed, watching you two and working with hundreds and hundreds of people that we have has given us such a level of experience to help make this such a comfortable, easy thing for people to go through because number one, you're not talking about it. So you don't have to bring up the details of any of the bad stuff. Mm -hmm. Number two, we don't want you sitting in your emotions. So we, if, if you start to have this really bad emotional reaction, we get you out of it immediately. That's great because a lot of people don't, it doesn't feel good to stay there when it's a very hurtful emotion. And number three, it's a, it's a disconnect that's permanent. You're not going back to that same thing. You might find something else to work on, but okay, cool. This is behind me. Now I can work forward. And for us as a couple, like, what has that done for What has that done for you as a mom? Like with our three little kids, oh how, how do you feel differently with our kids now? Compared, what were you like before and what do you like now? Well, of course, you always wish you could go back and have this process embedded before you became a mom because I would have been a, a far calmer mom. But since really getting, I'm not cleared of everything. There's, there's still a few triggers in there, but they're really pretty small compared to what I was carrying when I first had the kids. But I was... Oh, I was a beast. I just was too hard on them. So I think being much more calm, patient, really picking, picking your battles. And that's not the right word, but your priorities change. You know, when you're not hating yourself every mm -hmm. single day, yep. you no longer tear apart others nearly as much. <laughs> so I think it goes back to the grace that Dan mm -hmm. brought up is when you're calmer inside you, you really go, well, that wasn't such a big deal. You know, I can address the kids in a calm manner and, and, and teach them and, and help them grow, but not be so controlling and, and so overbearing and, um, and, and projecting my worry and anxiousness onto them. You know, there's no need for that. 
But then as a couple too, just, you know, if you, if you went through all these processes and I stayed where I was, we'd be divorced already. Mm. There's, there's no way that a couple can function where one is growing and improving and the other is staying stagnant in, in my opinion, because I've been there and done, done that with my previous marriage and you have too, is I, I think uh, couples should go through this together, maybe on the, you know, when they're ready, but I, I think the journey together can be more amazing than just solo because you'll, you'll both really come out stronger on the other side. We, um, we always encourage that on the nonprofit side that if, the veteran has got trauma, so does the mm-hmm. spouse and probably the children because everybody's walking on eggshells. Because if one person heals, they're going to change as a person. Their personality will change. Right. That's what happened with me and my ex-wife. You know, she was resistant, didn't want, she's super analytical, didn't believe in this kind of thing, and she wouldn't do any self-work because she says, well, I didn't go to war. I don't have trauma. But the reality is everybody's got emotions. We've all got something. She had anxiety. She had a little bit on the OCD. Like our house was immaculate. It was showroom ready for realtor any day when we were there, which was kind of cool. And I did laundry once and I was never allowed to do it again, which was awesome. Now I got to do it all the time. But that being said, if you heal one and you don't heal the other, they will drift apart. I think go back to what Sarah was saying about the controlling overbearing. If we kept going down that road if she kept being that kind of mom to her to our kids Mm. guess who's going to be that way my anger Mm -hmm. and her controlling you combine what we had going on our son fisher started to act that way Mm -hmm. we all become a product of our environment right so we as kids we had parents that were certain ways you know whether it's guilt or i had anger in my household a lot maybe sarah had some of the overbearing or whatever it may be but you carry it so the sooner you can disconnect that for your children's sake and your marriage sake, it makes the whole family nucleus way better. Mm-hmm. And we have those regrets. So what I'd say is if there's people out there that are thinking about getting married or are actively pursuing a relationship, there is never a better time to be like, okay, you want to date me seriously? We're going to go to the anxiety guys first. Right. Because imagine what that, I mean, I know now, so I'm saying this truly from a non come work with us perspective. If I could have gone through these processes with Sarah before we got seriously into a relationship, there would have been so many more good days, days where we weren't struggling days where we would have been set free to, to really grow in a much better way. I had plenty of my own issues, insecurities and crap that a lot of it you've helped me deal with Dan and and Sarah has, we, we've, we talk about a lot of stuff, but it's not always the easiest thing just to talk to your spouse and be like, well, this is the crap in my head, right? You're, you're trying to figure it out so that you don't have to put it on the other person. But when you're triggered or those emotions come out, you do, you put it on the other person and that's a, it can be so tough. And that's why so many divorces happen nowadays. People grow up, become an adult, fall in love, but they're still carrying their five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 year old self with them on top of whatever happened to them in junior high and high school. And maybe they were, abused in one way, shape, form or another, or went through something horrific and you can hide it for a little while, but then it comes out. It's always going to come out. Right. Yeah. The, um, thing about my situation stuff when I was 11 was the bad, the, the call, that was the stuff that was the, the anchor point for a lot of trauma. So for 37 years, I lived with it. I felt the emotions. I, I, I relationships around that and ended up getting divorced as a result. So if you got childhood trauma, I guarantee you 
if you can disconnect that stuff, it's going to do wonders to improve intimacy in your relationships, your ability to connect with your children. And then if you have kids that are seven years or younger, they're in that imprint phase of learning. If you have anxiety, guess what? They're going to model that behavior. If you have an anger problem, they're going to model that behavior and they're going to become a product of that environment. We used to see it all the time when I work law enforcement, you know, juvenile delinquency. Guess what? Mom or dad. They followed what mom or dad did and they ended up in and out of the system until one day they go to prison. All right. So that's Sarah, my- did you know that Dan's 11 year old trauma was, he got run over by an ice cream truck. <laughs> so every time you hear that ding, ding, ding and the music playing in town, was Dan triggered. was triggered. It was ridiculous. He uh, was like, yeah, and then he became a cop and I'm like, Dan, stop chasing. Well, anyhow, anyways, you actually said something about, Oh, what was it you said? You tr- totally triggered a memory or a thought with the kid thing. I know um, you can't remember it, but if you could, what, what was would it? it be? <laughs> I, I think a key theme for a lot of what we're talking about today, honestly, I wanted to, it's fun to have Sarah join us and talk about it from her perspective. I watched the, the uh, woman that I worked with today. Sarah actually spoke to her and you could hear the emotion on the phone change when she, Sarah shared her with her how this kind of went for Sarah when she first learned about and started these processes. And it really put her at ease. Um, I think hearing a woman's perspective and moms, you know, men and women are different all day long. Parents go through a lot of the same stuff, but there is a lot of pressure on moms, right? There, there's your, (laughs) the kids are always going to you. Now I'm a dad that's very involved with the kids. The kids love me, but a lot of times it's mom, Ma, ma, and you're like, holy cow, say it once and then go find her. With me, it's like, ma, where's dad? Right? It, it don't start with dad. They <laughs> yell ma. So you think about that. You have kids, you're going into marriage, you're trying to make things work. And I, I just love to see people heal and get better. Right. And, and we've worked with couples that have had everything from physical abuse to verbal abuse to somebody hurt somebody else or cheated. And, you know, a lot of us are carrying our crap from early years. And if you can stick together, it's not too late. If you love that person you're with and you're in a relationship that you've been in for, don't give up. Give us, at least give us a call and do, do a 15 minute discovery call with us. Tell us what's going on. And it, cause if there's a piece of you that wants to make that relationship work, I'm telling you right now, we can help you make that work. If, if your spouse or the person you're with is is also has that thread and they, they're not checked out. They're like, I, I'm willing to, if this changes or this, whatever it may be, I love to see that. Mm-hmm. I don't like seeing it. Even when you were getting ready to go through your divorce, there's a certain point where if the other person doesn't want to change or get better, you can't force that. And that's okay. You have to accept it and move on. But if there is, I, I don't know about you, Sarah, but I love to see when people can heal and fix it and grow in their journey together. Oh, it's beautiful to see just... To see the freedom in people, the freedom in their energy, and then to come together as a couple or, or any relationship. I mean, gosh, it could be a friendship or it could be a, a, a co-worker, you know, any two people, right? Or your kids. Your, oh, absolutely. Your kids' relationship. When you have that freedom and you get rid of your own crap and baggage, it just gives you back to that grace comment to have a much, much lighter and, and better, more fulfilling relationship with anybody. Yeah, a lot of the actions we take, even it comes back to you, Dan, earlier talking about when you're not, you both said it, when you're not happy with yourself, you project it on other people. Right. If you're insecure, you grow up hurt, you lash out. You do things and make decisions 
whether you're single or you're in a relationship that a lot of times you'll wish you hadn't or you regret. And then when you get in relationships, there's all kinds of stuff that you would usually go back and change. Imagine if you can really disconnect a lot of the, the things that are keeping you anchored. Well, think about it. If you're married in a relationship and you're feeling angry or you're feeling anxious or you're feeling worried or insecure or, or insecure or, or whatever lonely, it may exactly. Be. You're, you're avoiding those conversations mm-hmm. and you're not communicating with the person you need to communicate with. Or if you're with somebody, I'm going to say if I was married to Dan, because sometimes I feel like I am <laughs> his emotions for me. And I'm being very honest here that Dan's emotions at times would be, I would be so worried about what I would say because how he would emotionally react. And at times with Sarah too, at one point, probably more so with you because I'm married to her and we could have some very deep heart to heart conversations, but I would be like, Oh my God, what, when a lot of that stuff got ripped out, I was like, wow, we can talk and communicate and move forward and start a business together and change the world together. And that is awesome. Like talk about that success, baby. Hmm. That is success. Keep moving forward, being present daily on the things that matter most, which isn't money. Money matters because it's got to put food on the table. But at the end of the day, when you can be present day to day, because that's all we got is today, and you're moving forward with the people you love and care about most, you're living a successful life. Stop surviving and start creating. If you're ready to start creating and thriving and living that best life, Give us a shout at anxietyguys.com. Schedule a 15-minute discovery call. And if you'd like to talk to Sarah, we can get her on the call with you. Because honestly, we're two dudes. And sometimes a woman's perspective is very welcome. So if you're listening to this and you got questions for us. If you're a skeptic and you're listening to this, call me. I'll tell you what it's like to go from the skeptic to a believer. I got some cool stories to share with you. Good. Are you talking skeptic with marriage or the process? <laughs> Processes. <laughs> Yeah, we mean that wholeheartedly too, folks. Like the people we work with, uh, we we care deeply about, and Sarah Sarah would not say that if she didn't mean it, hundred uh, percent. My email is dan at anxietyguys dot com, and mine is nick at anxietyguys dot com, and and I have one too, actually, because I do some background stuff. <laughs> Sarah at anxietyguys dot com with an H on this Sarah. I'm glad you threw that in there. Appreciate you listening. Look forward to being able to better serve all of you in the future. And come join the emotional revolution.